there, and welcome to the works. I'm Ben Peltier. And I'm Ben Che. In today's show, probably the most expensive eggs you've ever seen. Hmm. And no, they're not organic or free-range. They are the Easter eggs designed for the Russian royal family by the jeweler Peter Karl Fabergé. Again, inspired a little by Russia and the meteorite that crashed to Earth there just last week, we're also looking at various scenarios for the end of the world. Local artist Tika's new exhibition is called Continuation of the Doomsday Clock. But if you know his work at all, you'll know it's far from depressing. And in our studio later, we'll have the local indie band The Weathering, who will sing a song from and talk to us about their recently released debut album, The Sea Cares for Its Own. First, though, Austrian conductor and composer Gustav Mahler is a towering figure among classical composers, known for impeccably orchestrated song cycles and his massive, expansive symphonies. He wrote his first symphony in his mid-twenties. Initially, he drew inspiration for it from a novel by German author Jean-Paul called Titan. But he soon moved beyond that literary inspiration. Symphonies, Mahler believed, should contain the world, and he saw no reason why they should be limited by literary ideas. Last Friday and Saturday, Jaap van Zweden and the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra performed Mahler's first symphony. I believe you said that looking at uh, a picture can be compared to listening to great music, but that Mahler's music is uh, a little bit more like being in the picture. He, he pulls you into the picture. And what is it about Mahler's music that allows him to create a world so completely like that? I think that um, he is dragging you into the picture because there are so many roller coaster emotions. And we recognize these emotions, uh, as humans as we are, that he, he just pulls you into grief, into happiness, into sadness, in great enjoyment. Instead of, for instance, Bruckner, he shows you a picture and you keep looking at it, keep looking at the beauty of that picture. But he doesn't do this with you. He just shows you the beauty. Mahler's first symphony has a lot of programmatic elements, at least it was originally intended that way by Mahler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, does that influence your interpretation of the music? Um, a little bit, and at the same time we should understand that what is in the, in the score is already so much that you hardly can talk about interpretation. You have to very much to stick to what he wants, and that is already very hard enough. Uh, and so what he tells us in the music is um, in, in the score so much that we need to be very careful that we don't want to add something uh, extra um, so then it becomes a little bit self-indulgent, that's dangerous with this piece and at the same time what he tells us what he's, uh, what he's feeling and what, what he is seeing, uh, we need to be very clear that we are not performing it just for the first row, but we are performing it for the whole hall. So what we have to say, we have to exaggerate also a little bit sometimes. 
how do you as the music director here in Hong Kong and as the chief of the, of the concert, uh, specifically the Mahler's first, balance the need for perfectionism with the idea of taking risks and, and having excitement in the performance? Is there a line, that you, the balance that you strike there as well? Uh, yes, of course. The biggest risk actually is not to take a risk. Because we are an orchestra which wants to perform. We, we have a live performance and um, not taking a risk is, that is very risky because then, you know, it's going to be boring. Um, <clears throat> now, to, to be free on stage, uh, you don't get that. Nobody can give you that. You have to earn it. So that's the reason that we work really hard these last days to earn freedom for tonight. And I told them that, take your risk. Uh, and knowing that you, that you gave 110% in the rehearsals, and that will, I promise you, that will give you freedom. And how do you go about approaching the piece that you've done several times with the, some of the world's greatest orchestras and, and bringing out the new, the new things that you find? Um, well, you, the, the secret is that you have to get up every morning as a pupil and think, what can I learn again from this score? What can I learn from my orchestra here? What kind of, is there already a tradition here? What can I learn from them? Uh, how can they inspire me? And, and they did this week. I mean, I was not easy on them. They were not easy on me. And, you know, it is, it is, it is a wonderful relationship. You know, being on stage with each other is nothing else than having a relationship through music. And that music is for us holy. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, you've you got to be open. Always be open for new things. Never think that you are there. And also don't think that it is about me. It's about the music. We are serving the music.
As we mentioned earlier, just last week, a giant meteor crashed into Russia. That's one of the theories about how the world will come to an end. And although it's not a happy thought, the idea does inspire some people. The doomsday clock is an imaginary clock counting down to the time when threats such as nuclear war, climate change or technological development could bring the world to an end. At the new gallery on Old Bailey until the 23rd of March, Hong Kong's artist Tika's exhibition, Continuation of the Doomsday Clock, takes a light-hearted look at possible ends of the world. We'll be back after the break. See you then. Welcome back. Showing at the Hong Kong Heritage Museum until the 29th of April is an exhibition you're certain to find dazzling. It's called Fabergé, Legacy of Imperial Russia. The exhibition highlights the achievements of the jewelry industry of Russia from the 19th to the 20th centuries, and particularly the work of Peter Karl Fabergé, the most successful jeweler of the period. In 1842, Gustave Fabergé opened a small basement workshop in St. Petersburg to produce gold and diamond articles. He called the business the House of Fabergé. In 1882, his son, Peter Carl Fabergé, took over the family company. At one point, he was involved with restoring objects in the Hermitage Museum. The restorations impressed Tsar Alexander III so much that he ordered that work by the House of Fabergé should be displayed in the museum as examples of superb contemporary Russian craftsmanship. In 1885, the House of Fabergé was designated goldsmith by special appointment to the imperial crown. That same year, the Tsar commissioned the House of Fabergé to make the first of many Easter eggs as a gift for his wife, the Empress Maria Fedorovna. Вершины творчества Фаберже – это императорские пасхальные яйца, которые а, он создавал на протяжении 30 лет своей жизни. И мы привезли три пасхальных яйца из наших десяти. Музей Кремля имеет самое большое собрание императорских яиц в мире. 
Ну, а на самом деле, ну, почти каждая часть нашей выставки значительна, потому что наш музей – это национальная царская сокровищница России, и на выставке вы увидите и ценные мемориальные царские вещи. After the Russian Revolution in 1918, the House of Fabergé was nationalized by the Bolsheviks. Peter Karl Fabergé died in Switzerland two years later, and the family set up a new company in Paris. But the craftsmanship of its pre-revolutionary Russian works is still widely celebrated. The dazzling imperial Easter eggs are the most spectacular pieces, but they were accompanied by many other rare and exceptional artworks and items. Например, коронационная мантия русской императрицы Марии Федоровны или коронационный мундир последнего русского царя Николая II. The exhibition at the Heritage Museum contains more than 200 exhibits on loan from the collections of the Moscow Kremlin Museums and the Firstman Mineralogical Museum of Russia. Ну, играют и играли раньше, и играют сейчас огромную роль, потому что язык драгоценного камня, язык красоты, изящества, он понятен всем. И достаточно пройтись по Гонконгу и увидеть многообразие бриллиантов, как это важно для людей. И еще более, наверное, важно произведения ювелирные исторические, которые хранят историческую память, помимо их абсолютной красоты. Hong Kong's local music scene is just getting more and more exciting and more and more lively. Both local and overseas musicians are injecting energy and ideas into the city's indie scene. Among those musicians are Leora and Jeff Kaler, who are originally from the United States and together form the group The Weathering and have just released their first album. And as we promised earlier, joining us here in the studio tonight are Hong Kong-based pop duo The Weathering, who have also just recently released their album The Sea Cares for Its Own. And right now, I'm speaking to Jeff and Leora from the group. Hi, guys. Welcome Hi. to the Hi. studio. Thank you Thanks. so much. Perhaps you could start by telling us, how did the weathering form, and what led you to be based here in Hong Kong? Well, we are actually, we're married, and so that came actually before the weathering. But um, we met several years ago in Colorado, USA, and we um, became friends because we were both musicians. We knew people who were musicians, and so that just kind of led to a natural connection. We started writing music together before we even started dating and um, I think we had dreams of eventually starting a band, um, and then we got engaged. She she moved to um, Australia, if you want to talk about it. Yeah, I moved to Australia for a couple of years, and then he came and surprised me with a proposal near the Sydney Opera House, which was amazing. So I said yes, and then after that we got married, and then after we got married we decided let's make our dream come true, and so for the past couple of years we've been working to create this first album. Great, so, and uh, yeah. I have in my hands right now your debut album. Could you yeah. tell us a bit about the album itself? Yeah, so this is a project that has been a labor of um, probably a year and a half um, just with us kind of working on songs together and um, producing and, and kind of recording. Um, it, it's sort of a do-it-yourself project, but it's also um, we've, we've got enough polish and, and we know enough tricks of the trade now to kind of um, make it sound 
um, we think it's pretty good. So, <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think one of the most interesting things for us is just melding both of our um, interests, our talents, just the way that we write music. I write music very differently than the way that Jeff writes music, and we bring different things to the table. So, part of the fun of the process has just been combining our efforts and learning to work together and learning how we each write music. And so, I think I think this project is really differently different than anything that we've done in the past. Do you have any future plans coming up for the weathering? We have um, a concert scheduled for March 25th, and um, but it's it's. Um, I mean, we we definitely want to play out more this year. We've we've played out a little bit last year, but most of our time lately has been dedicated to finishing this product. But um, we're excited to play out in Hong Kong and mm. and um, just get to know the the local artist community here. So. And if yeah. people want to find out more about you guys, is there a website they can go to for that? There is. It's just um, www.thewethering.com. Great. And yeah. what song would you like to do up for us in the studio tonight? Uh, I'll let it's you a song that. called "Where Other Ghosts Gather." Great. Yeah. When I finally woke today, I was dead Like a vigil city lights flood my bed I will lead you to a place you said Where other ghosts gather, other ghosts gather All the ghosts came alive when
Yeah.